Gary and Shannon. Now, oh, this is exciting. What's that? John Douglas. I am. Ex- uh, listen, the first most amazing thing I did when I came to Los Angeles was unpack. Right. It's, I mean, so that's amazing. Everybody Just has sheer amazing amazingness. Times. Great mm-hmm. memories of unpacking the yeah. kitchen. Listening to John Douglas and Eric Leonard host the Mindhunter show on Saturday night here on KFI. Fascinating. Like, you can't... The beginning of what would become sort of the true crime podcast thing, that's exactly what that show was. Yes. I could listen to both of those guys ad nauseum for, for a long time. John Douglas going to come on the show about an hour from now, we expect. And we'll see how long we can keep him. But to talk about his new book that's come out, all about profiling... Never, never before heard principles of sitting down with some of the worst serial killers in the history of the country and getting into their brains and trying to figure out what makes them tick. It's going to be good. The last time we dealt with a constitutional crisis was with Richard Nixon. When Congress wanted to dig into his political activities, wanted to investigate him, and he resigned under the threat of impeachment after the tape showed that he, the, the, the tape was released that proved that he obstructed justice. Well, gang, round two. Ah. Nancy Pelosi is declaring a constitutional crisis over the president's unwillingness to let Congress dig in to that full, unredacted Bob Mueller investigation. You mentioned yesterday that the House Judiciary Committee voted to hold uh, William Barr in contempt. That's going to go to the House. Jerry Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, called for the vote, knowing exactly how it was going to go down party lines, and then had the audacity to say those two key words, constitutional crisis. We've talked for a long time about approaching a constitutional crisis. We are now in it. We are now in it. It sounds a little bit like Dobie Dog. Nancy Pelosi. I do agree with Chairman Adler because uh, the administration has decided that they are not going to... honor their oath of office. This is all about the constitutional right of Congress to provide oversight, just like all the branches provide oversight over each other. Congress wants to have some oversight into this presidential authority and the investigation into the president. And did he obstruct justice in this Russia investigation into was there meddling with Russia for the election? How long is this going to go on? I don't know. Uh, By the way, the timing of this is still up in the air as well, because as hot and heavy as Jerry Nadler is with this, Nancy Pelosi kind of realizes, well, eh, are we really going to play this constitutional crisis card game for a while? She hasn't scheduled a vote for the House, although Jerry Nadler says he wants it uh, rapidly. He wants it scheduled rapidly. The Democratic leaders are going to wait to pair the Judiciary Committee contempt recommendations with another And that would probably come from the Intelligence Committee because the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, issued a subpoena today for William Barr to hand over the full Mueller report and evidence, as well as any counterintelligence and foreign intelligence generated by the investigations that were opened up by Bob Mueller and the special counsel investigators. So he gave the Justice Department, Adam Schiff, that is, gave the Justice Department until May 15th to comply. If William Barr, the Attorney General, ignores that deadline, that's when the Intelligence Committee falls along the same lines as the Judiciary Committee and begins the contempt proceedings to send yet another recommendation 
to the floor of the house. Let's just relive what was in Bob Mueller's report. Bob Mueller found insufficient evidence to bring charges against the president for conspiring or colluding with Russia to influence the elections. He did cite at least 10 specific instances in which the president may have obstructed his investigation. That right there is what this is hanging on. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't forget, I mean, I saw the earlier letter this week from a series of couple hundred prosecutors who said if Donald Trump was not the president and just private citizen Donald Trump, he would have been arrested. He would have been charged with actual obstruction. Yes, there is a yes, I think that sucks that you've got different rules for the president, but there's a reason that they are in place. The president, of course, had said that he was going to vow to fight all subpoenas. Nancy Pelosi has been increasingly casting um, the, the possibility of impeachment as low on the totem pole. The Senate Intelligence Committee has subpoenaed Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. About this. Yeah. Now, that is interesting as well. Because it's Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee. Yes. This is all about his 2017 testimony to this panel as part of its investigation into the Russian election interference. So for the Republican-controlled Senate to kind of come in with this number two punch after the House uh, holds bar in contempt. Unless they believe that that, that that Donald Jr. has testimony that would continue to sort of button up nail in the coffin oh, tie see. this thing tie a bow on yeah. it and get rid of it I don't, I don't know if that's the case because donald jr's already testified for 20 hours i think was the number he's already testified multiple times about what's been going on well the president so. said he was very surprised with the subpoena yeah he and didn't get a heads up when he was asked about it the president was holding a a completely separate media availability a little bit earlier about a half an hour ago in the white house And when he was asked about this surprise subpoena for Donald Jr., all he said was, we'll see what happens. He hasn't said if he would suggest that Don Jr. ignore the subpoena and they take it to a potential contempt vote again. Coming up next, a co-founder of Facebook, Chris Hughes, says the company is so big and powerful that it threatens our democracy. We'll tell you what his take on it and also your chance at $1,000. Yeah, that'll that'll put your constitutional crisis in line. Mm. thousand bucks in your pocket. Gary and Shannon will continue. Monica, is that called key lime? Um, uh, chartreuse or lime or look at you, you know with what? your fifty cent words. Yeah, chartreuse. That's yeah. a good one. I think I, Nick um, dated her in high school. Yeah, Nick. That never mind. Chartreuse, not me. Chartreuse, you know, you were right. the one that dated all the girls with the crazy names. Well, he said they were crazy, and I, my my question is: Are the na- are the names crazy also, or do they hide behind he did normal not say- names? Let's move on. Reminder, next hour, John Douglas, Mindhunter, the longtime 25-year veteran of the FBI who started the profiling sector there at the FBI. He's going to join us in the 11 o'clock hour. Coming up next, we've got a story involving a multimillionaire, guns, a mistress, a secret family, all here. Secret family? In Los Angeles. I just think I would not want a secret family. No. You know what? When I was growing up, um, one of my mom's best friends... And, you know, I babysat her son, and uh, and they were very close. Her husband had a secret family. Like a full-on, like, in wife like, and kids and in everything? In, like, Minnesota. Yeah, full-on secret other family. Isn't that crazy? 
I mean, I just, uh, one family's enough, right? Yeah. Like, there's enough responsibilities and soccer games and <laughs> all of that. that. How do you go to all the games? And the recitals I don't, and I don't know. I don't know how you have the energy for, t- for two wives and two sets of kids. And two mothers-in-law. Oh, hell. Never thought of that. <laughs> all right. So, Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes is rolling on his old friend Mark Zuckerberg. The two were, were roommates at Harvard. You yep. uh, still talk to your roommate? Uh, yeah, sometimes. The one I the, not in the dorms. He moved to New York and got you know famous and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Doing what? Photography. He took. He worked for Richard Avedon for a long time and then started his own studio and everything. So. Oh, well, you did okay. <laughs> You're not a complete failure. I'm okay, thank you though. Uh, Chris Hughes, if you remember, you you watched the Social Network. He was one of the guys that was basically uh, very close to Mark Zuckerberg in the formation of Facebook. However, I haven't been at the company in over a decade, but I feel a sense of responsibility to account for the damage done. Americans have the power to right the ship through government action. We need new regulations. It's time to break up Facebook. He sounds Listen like a Lobby Joe's. He mom. is. He is kind of a Lobby Joe guy. He's a. He's a waif of a boy. He um, says that Mark Zuckerberg has this unprecedented and un-American power. That his influence is staggering, far beyond that of anyone else in the private sector or in government. That there's nobody over Mark Zuckerberg telling him what he can and can't do. And there's two billion people on this. This monster that is facebook slash instagram slash uh whatsapp yeah i i disagree with part of what chris hughes is saying but i but I, another part of it i do agree with listen I mean, he could steer i mean mark zuckerberg really could steer the thoughts of america you saw the impact facebook had on the last election right which is a dangerous thing yeah uh and in, in this new york times op-ed piece that chris hughes wrote today he's i think he's interviewed with um on uh NBC's nightly news later tonight as well to talk more about this. He talks about that one key line there, that it is the time for the government to act. Americans have the power to right the ship through government action. Americans have the power to right the ship through government action. How about this? Americans have the power to right the ship. We don't have to do it through government action. If you're pissed off about Facebook, then get off Facebook. Stop using Facebook. Well, it's a little paternalistic in the fact that there are people who are not going to have that discerning quality about them of of getting off Facebook right. or of ignoring the crazy stuff. There are certain people that are going to believe everything they see on that thing. And if Mark Zuckerberg is the puppet master in pulling the strings on what's allowed on Facebook and what's not, I kind of see the point. Well, it seems like Chris Hughes is assigning to Mark Zuckerberg evil intent. Like the reason that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have anybody over him, the reason he does have virtually unlimited control is because he's he's an evil person and he's trying to manipulate people. The way I see it, maybe it's just got, I'm too optimistic about people, is the way I see it is he's just way in over his head. He believes that he can control this thing, that there's still a a vein of positivity that runs through Facebook. I don't think the point is that Mark Zuckerberg is evil and he wants to control us all. I just think that Mark Zuckerberg may use his own thoughts of what is decent and what is right and what is fake news or whatever in steering the content that everybody sees on Facebook. He doesn't have to have any evil intent 
he just has to have his own opinion and his right. own opinion shouldn't be shoved down the throats of people who don't want it or or see a different way the the problem that he has the problem that chris hughes has in this argument that the government should step in one of the problems is that facebook itself is a free service you can sign up i can say anybody can sign up under any name they want, basically, I think as long as you have a working email address, but even that's pretty questionable. Yeah, but you, it's those like can come and go. Hotel California if you want to get out of there. <laughs> but it's free. The The company makes money off of your information. That's how they're going to do it is they sell advertisements, and that's how it is that Facebook has made money forever. So they're going to have a different – the government has uh, less of a – argument to go in and break it up that's not like standard oil in 1911 or at&t back in the early 80s because those companies were making money off of you i mean sorry they were that you had to pay money to get involved in their business the idea of the government over the government regulating social media to me sounds like china like i don't want the government regulating social media right i i, <laughs> I want that this to me is one of those things where if we do these stories all the time about how Facebook comes out and goes, I'm really sorry about that whole security breach. But they do it every three months, and nobody does anything about it. Nobody quits their Facebook profiles. Nobody nobody finds an alternative way to share ideas or pictures of their kids or their cats or whatever. So in the meantime, you just, you just take it. You just bend over and take it from Mark Zuckerberg, which is a horrible, nightmarish, uh, it too, trailer-style image and i want you to sit on that for a while um no yes all right coming up next guns He's money for you. and a secret family gary and shannon can we not use that analogy again sorry it's a little early in the day i didn't realize that by doing that i would also stick it in my own head you know this is a church program uh, not today, it's not. Monaco, it's not today. Uh, no, not today. Gary and Shannon, Thursday, it's May 9th. Reminder that our conversation with John Douglas, mine hunter, longtime FBI profiler, is going to come up at 11 o'clock. We've been uh, we've been seeing some strange goings on in North Korea. They reportedly conducted a second weapons test in a week. Uh, we'll see exactly what happens here, but South Korea has already reacted to this. Also, the, uh, the talks that are supposed to start up in Washington, D.C., about uh, trade with China have been thrown into disarray. The top U.S. trade negotiator, Robert Lighthizer, and uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, they refer to him as the Nooch, uh, have accused the Chinese of going back on the commitments they had made earlier. So in response to the backsliding, the alleged backsliding, we are going to be raising tariffs on $200 billion in Chinese imports from 10% to 25% about, oh, I don't know, Nine hours from now, I guess 12, 11 hours from now. At least that's the plan. We'll see how this uh, takes shape on Wall Street coming up in the next couple of hours. A big gun bust in Bel Air. <gasps> no, not Bel Air. And then the connections start to be exposed yesterday. This was a mansion in Bel Air where federal agents found thousands of guns. I mean, we're talking about guns worth several millions of dollars. And it turns out these guns belonged to the former mistress of Gordon Getty. He's J. Paul Getty's son? The yes, property, the, the property, fourth child yeah, of J. Paul Getty. So the property is owned by Cynthia Beck. She has three daughters with J. Paul Getty's son, Gordon. This is the secret family. This home is a $7 million, five-bedroom property. 
It's 8,200 square feet. Ooh. And it still belongs to that mistress, Cynthia Beck. They were together for 14 years, and the relationship was finally exposed in 1999. Now, the guy that was arrested at this scene is a guy by the name of Gerard. He's 57, and he was taken into custody. He and Beck, Cynthia Beck, are longtime companions who owned several properties so, together. So he's like a second secret family, the double secret family? Well, I don't know if they're having relations. Oh. They might just be they're friends. Just, they're just companions? Yeah, you're right. That's hokey. That's a weird word. Yeah. <laughs> Companion means sex, doesn't it? The This was an amazing haul of weapons. Now, sometimes when we talk about local law enforcement going through and doing a gun buyback program or uh, a weapons destruction program where they're going to burn them all, melt them down, that sort of thing. You see hundreds, if not thousands of weapons. That's what this looked like. Well, and some of those weapons are very odd and particular, and you saw the same thing in in this hall as well. Civil War rifles, Mm -hmm. shotguns, handguns, weapon manufacturing equipment, Some of the thousands of guns that the agents found yesterday at this mansion were owned by the mistress, Cynthia Beck. Well, owned by. I wonder if so if this guy is collecting them because you're not going to use a Civil War rifle in the commission of a crime, at least not since somewhere in the early uh, 1900s. it's it's a collector's item. He faces these are the charges to give you insight on what they think he was doing with these guns. Unlawful transportation, giving, lending or selling assault weapon charges. Okay. And more federal charges they say are going to be added as con- as officers continue to process all of the weapons. Here's the uh here's the question I have. This supposedly came in from a uh, a tip. So, who's going into this house? realizing that there are literally rooms stacked with weapons like this. Well, and it's Bel Air, too, so it's not like your neighbor's right next door. Right. It's not like you're looking across the street and you go, oh, what, what's so-and-so doing with all those guns? Yeah. I mean, the, the properties are pretty spread out, they talk they? about They talk about this house that it would be a place where you've got tour vans that drive through those customer, uh, sorry, drive through those neighborhoods all the time uh, to see the Playboy Mansion, which is nearby. And it also, of course, thank you, the L.A. Times, Pointing out that Jay-Z and Beyonce live in a mansion nearby as well. Now, it's not illegal for someone to own a large collection of firearms. No. But it is illegal to sell weapons from your home without going through the state and federal process. It's also illegal to hold to have illegal weapons in your house. Cynthia Beck, the woman, the mistress, the secret family, she's in her 60s now. She does not live in the mansion, but she still owns it. She is said to live a reclusive life in Europe, and few photos of her exist. That sounds nice, doesn't it? Living in Europe with nobody else and no pictures of you out there? What the hell's wrong with you? What do you mean, what's wrong with me? When did you become a recluse? Oh, I'm going to be a recluse, like, starting next week. I thought you were going to live in the home and be the life of the party. I go back and forth. You could have a secret life. How's that? Okay. On one hand, okay. I like it. I love it. I'll be a secret recluse. You could be you could be Bingo Betty in the home, and then you're gonna go put uh, Kleenex boxes on your feet while you're living in the south of France. That sounds great. Oh my gosh, have it both ways. I love it. <laughs> uh. Okay. 
Uh, the, some believe that the Getty family suffers from a curse. They've had many misfortunes befall them. Gordon's son, Andrew, aspired to be a movie director, but his only film was The Evil Within. Before he could complete the film, he was found dead at 47 in his home in the Hollywood Hills. Why is it that if you're a multi-billionaire family and you get you get some bad you get a bad run of luck you become cursed? Here's if you're the thing: a, if you're a poor family and you get a bad run of luck, it's just you're a poor family. Here's the thing: uh, when you're a wealthy family, look at the Kennedys, for example. They're also seen as cursed. You're going to be doing more things than the average family. You're going to be you know flying those private planes. You're going to be uh, have more access to the seedier side of life when it comes to drugs and prostitutes and all of that. You're going to feel you're going to feel entitled, which makes you more apt to marginal behavior. All of that comes with money and power, right? Yeah. So that's why you could potentially pay your way out of health problems, whereas a poorer family might not be able to get the treatment that would be necessary. But I don't know. All right. uh, What are we doing? Come on. We are going to be talking with Fred Rogan, our oh. friend, because the Lakers are screwing everything up. I mean, live look coming up next at the dumpster fire that is the Lakers. <laughs> what the hell camera. are they doing? What's going on? Is it time for them to tell the team, the, the bus family, to just get out of the basketball business? I don't know, but they may. Uh, I, they're, they're talking about. Well, we'll talk with Fred about it. We'll I'm break gonna, it all down. I'm going to go put my Clippers jersey on if you don't mind. Okay. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. Uh, we're about, uh, if I'm trying to do the math, 22 hours into our constitutional crisis How right now. How do you now. feel? I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat my lunch today. Yeah. I'm so torn up and, and twisted in knots about my constitutional um, crisis. I've had some uh, problems with my constitution, actually. Yeah, you that, have. That will put you in a crisis. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I Fred Rogan. binded. The dean of, of LA Sports. You see him on Channel 4, what is it, eight days a week, it seems like? That's right. You hear him five days a week, at least, down the hall at AM 570 KLAC with Rogan and Ronnie. It's a great show you guys put on down there. You listen every day, don't you? I do listen every day. No, we appreciate that. I do listen from two to three yeah. every day. Well, occasionally you pop on and do one of our segments called I love, It's Lit. I love doing It's Lit. It's yeah. the highlight of my day when I get to do It's Lit with you guys. When are you going to come light up? You, Me? Yeah. Well, we were supposed to do it on your birthday and totally forgot. But you guys gave me, can I just say this? Yeah. You were so nice today. You walked in, you gave me a card on great stationery, great Gary and Shannon stationery, and this really cool shirt, which I put on. I've been walking around in it. Yeah. I'm so appreciative that you guys gave that to me and you thought of me, and I went and complained, and now we're going to get shirts too. Very good. Yeah. That's how it works around here. (laughs) You know what we should do now? We should complain that they're getting shirts, and they'll go like this. Oh, okay. Good, good for them. Good for them. The reason we've got Fred here is because the god-awful mess that has become one of the hottest brands in all of professional sports, your Los Angeles Los Angeles Lakers. Yes. Now, this has been just a, a hellish last, what, six months or so? Sure. Here, here's really the issue. If you've lived in Los Angeles for any period of time, you know there are certain brands that transcend. Really, and if you're a fan of a team, congratulations. But there are two brands that transcend, Dodgers and Lakers. Everybody else is in there and they have their fans, but those are the biggest brands. And uh, the Lakers have completely crumbled before everyone's eyes. And really, the, the, the issue here, if you want to get analytical, Dr. Jerry Buss owned the team. He died. He left the team to his family. 
And the person he left in charge of all of the other family members was his daughter, Jeannie Buss, who was delightful. People love her. She has been a staple of the organization for years. But she's not her dad. And the thing about Jeannie that we're learning is, besides being just the best person you'll ever meet, doesn't seem like a great leader. Maybe easy to influence? Maybe. Maybe. You know, some people just aren't meant to do that. Right. So all of a sudden, you have everybody reporting to you, and you are now trying to keep things afloat, and it's just crumbled. The infrastructure of the entire organization is crumbled. So they bring LeBron in, hoping yeah. to build around him, and mm-hmm. they fail to, to do that. They fail to bring over a Paul George or Anthony Davis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and now you've got Luke Walton out at coach. They were going to bring in somebody who has experience with LeBron in Cleveland in Ty Lu, and they're at the negotiation table. Ty Lu celebrates his birthday recently with a freaking Lakers cake. Yes. He's well, at the negotiations table, and the Lakers can't come through for this guy. And let me add a level to that because you talk about the fact that they bring over LeBron and can't bring in somebody like Anthony Davis and they get rid of Luke Walton. Both of those things, had they just happened, they couldn't, you know, we couldn't get Anthony Davis, that'd be one thing. It's that they failed spectacularly. I mean, car crash. Embarrassment. ABC Wide World of Sports, the guy, I mean, falling down that ski slope. I mean, that's how they fail was in front of everybody and spectacularly. Well, that's because they are one of the big brands. Uh, when you talk about Ty Lu, the coach, and let's just say this quickly about LeBron, they brought in one of the great players in the history of the game who has been less engaged than anyone who has ever worn a Los Angeles jersey. I've said it on our show, and I've said it on Going Rogan and on TV. Ever, huh? Ever. Uh, he plays for the Lakers. He wears a Lakers jersey, but he's not a Laker. He doesn't seem invested in that at all. He doesn't seem invested to me. He's invested in his businesses. He's invested in living here and creating his empire, which he should. He's not invested in the Lakers. So now that please. he, now that Ty Lu has said, I'm done, I'm well, out, because Sh- they won't give him the extra two years. Shannon, here's the point. They didn't want Ty Lu to be the coach. Oh, really? Well, look at it like this. LeBron, who says, I'm not involved in anything, is involved in everything. And basically said, that's going to be the coach. They've been talking to the guy for a month. Why didn't they sign him? Why didn't they go ahead? You're the coach. We want you. Because they didn't want him. So are they going to trade LeBron? Well, (laughs) you know something? We're not to that point yet. But you're saying it's on the table somewhere. Well, the people have talked about it. They've speculated in the past. With the coaching search, they didn't want Ty Lue. And to prove it, they offered him a deal less than every other NBA coach gets in terms of years. And they told him, we're going to bring in our guy as your number one assistant. The guy they wanted. That's not good. So, in essence, they said, you'll be here three years. Deals are five. You get three, the term of LeBron James' contract. Right. So, you're here three. And this guy we're bringing in, Jason Kidd, that's who we really want. Why? Jason Kidd's a terrible person. Well, sure. (laughs) There are those that say that. But apparently, he interviewed well. They like him. So they're going to put him in sitting right behind this guy, looking over his shoulder, reporting back. And as soon as LeBron is gone, Jason Kidd would be the coach. Wow. And and, and Ty Lue said, I'm not doing that. Right. And the Lakers didn't have presence of mind, the real problem, to realize that wasn't going to work. That's when I say the infrastructure has crumbled. You know that's not going to work. You, We all know that's not going to work. Why would you even try it? Specifically about Ty Lue, would they have hired him because he's a b- good basketball coach, or would they hire him because he's a LeBron James handler? Uh, a little of each. More, he's a LeBron coach. 
He is a good basketball coach, but he would be here because of LeBron. And when he realized that he's only here during the term of LeBron James and that they lowballed him in essence a number of years. Like they're just bringing him in to handle one player. They're yeah. bringing him in so that one player is happy. Is happy. Yeah. That's why they were going so to do it. So in your expertise, yes. what would you do now? You're in charge of the Lakers. You're Jeannie Buss. What do you do to right the ship? The first thing I would do is go to the league. Off. Honestly, I'd go to the commissioner in New York. I'd say, I need a list of the top 10 executives in the league, up-and-comers, people that have been in successful organizations. I would then have a, a, a firm, headhunters, go through and narrow that list down to three people. I would then bring those three people in and talk to them. I would then select one and say, you're in charge of everything. You can fire everybody. You can hire everybody. You can keep everybody. You make the decisions. I'll be sitting here courtside enjoying the games. But the ironic, That's the way to fix it. The ironic part about that is everybody on that list is probably not a known name, at least to the general NBA Correct. fan. And the Lakers don't do it that way. They've always dealt in... Big names, recognizable names, names that my wife would recognize if they were hired as the coach or administrator, GM, whatever, for for the team. And here's what we've learned. That's not how we conduct business anymore, and it no. doesn't work. And do you want the results? Look at the Lakers. So there's a protest being planned for noon tomorrow at Staples. And we're going to have the guy that's having the protest on our show at 1245. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. That is great. Okay, Fred, thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, guys. And happy quiet birthday to you. We won't tell anybody when it is. Love the shirt. Or was. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, when we come back, John Douglas, the mind hunter, the guy who spent 25 years in the FBI, used to even have a show here on KFI, written 15 books, and was the subject of that Netflix show, Mind Hunters. We'll talk about with uh, we'll talk with John coming up in just a few minutes on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Hey, Joe Biden and Eric Garcetti had dinner last night at King Taco in South L.A. Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, both in Los Angeles today for fundraisers. Did you hear the president going after his name yesterday? No. I mean, it was, he didn't really criticize any of the Democratic candidates, but he said, uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's pretty sleepy. And then he's talked about Crazy Bernie, and he talked about Pete Buttigieg, and then said his name like six times. They call him Boot Edge Edge. Boot Edge Edge, they say. Stop Boot it. Edge Edge. That's hilarious. Um, the uh, A former member of Pope Francis's Commission for the Protection of Minors says New Vatican Law on Clergy Sex Abuse is positive because it codifies a requirement to care and support victims in church law. Uh, speaking of churches, by the way, we just found out a few moments ago, as a matter of fact, that the U.S. attorney down in San Diego has announced federal hate crime charges against the suspect in the synagogue shooting from a couple of weeks ago. You all know we are big fans of the true crime genre, which is why we bring you, you know, true crime Monday, true crime Tuesday, true crime Wednesday, true crime Thursday. <laughs> and then sometimes true crime Fridays. You just, just to... never know. Uh, and one of the guys who has been really impactful in this in this world, in fact, uh, of true crime, of investigation, and specifically profiling is John Douglas, longtime FBI agent, 25 years in, created the FBI's criminal profiling program. 
And if you remember, we talked uh, about a year and a half ago about the Netflix show Mindhunter. That's based on John Douglas. Yes, he had that number one New York Times bestseller Mindhunter, which Netflix went ahead and created a show all about. Now John Douglas has a new Unputdownable true crime book, The Killer Across the Table is the name. And there are even more secrets and more things that John has been able to learn about serial killers unveiled in this new book. John, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Well, thanks, Shannon. Gary, thanks for having me. Hey, and thanks. Uh, welcome back to KFI. I tell you, it was uh, it was fun. I, I had how many years now, Spencer? I had that Saturday show at the, on the evening. You know, I'm on the East Coast, and uh, you know, as I told you previously, I said I'd rather, I'd rather uh, work murder cases than be uh, a DJ on a Saturday <laughs> night in L.A. I mean, it was, it was stressful, and, and uh, yeah, the preparation and, and everything. So, you know, my hat goes off to you. You'd rather sit across the table from serial killers <laughs> oh, yeah. than do oh, what we do. Yeah, yeah Manson is much easier to deal with. Uh. Than that. Uh, well, we have. I could. We could probably do four hours with you, but I, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to start by asking you about this new book, "The Killer Across the Table," because the jacket itself says there's never before revealed details about your interview techniques. Are there even more that you have tucked away that you don't want to tell anybody that you're saving for yet another book? No, no, no not any, not anymore. It's just that after. Um, well, I had Mindhunter. I, I've done like a dozen books now, and, and uh, with the show that's uh, so successful, the Mindhunter Netflix series, people are always interested when I go out in public speaking about the interview process, how I do it. When I coach police on interview techniques and uh, interrogation, you know, techniques, uh, they're they're just interested. And and oftentimes at police academies, there's very little training that goes uh, that comes along within the uh, within the curriculum. So it's different. In, in like in this book, I'm dealing with four different kind of characters. You know, we have one fellow up in the state of Washington, Condro. His name is. He would kill his fr- uh, his friend's children, which I've never seen a case, uh, you know, like that where a guys killing his friend's children over the years and never linked to the case. In fact, he would participate in the searches uh, with the family and show empathy uh, toward the um, his friends, uh, uh, the family. And then uh, you go from that, you go to a guy named Joseph McGowan in New Jersey, where he kills a brownie uh, going door-to-door selling cookies, and, and she's seven years of age, and he's, he's a, uh, a school teacher with a master's degree. And uh, it was a fascinating interview with him and I, how I, I staged the interrogation room, uh, the temperature, the lighting, uh, the furniture, and how, how after he's a, a period of time, uh, he he now is forgets that I'm representing the parole board, and he starts revealing uh, specifics of the crime and and uh, to to details, specific details, and tells me about money that he has stashed away. And and uh, the reason he has it stashed away is because he want, doesn't want the victim's family to get any of that money. And he he's forgetting just kind of lulled them to sleep. He's forgetting that I'm representing here. I'm representing the parole board who's going to make a decision whether or not that we should release you back into uh, into society. So that process, that interview is really interesting. And then it, the other guy, Todd Colep from South Carolina, Spartanburg, 
uh, I was involved in a case of cops came up to me when I was speaking at a university down there to help uh, that somebody killed four people in a motorcycle shop. I did my analysis and I kind of went away. And several years later, uh, uh, the police rescue a girl in a storage container. Your, your listeners may remember that. Uh, her name was Kayla Brown. Uh, the bad guy's name was Todd Colehep. He killed a total of three more since the uh, since he killed people in the motorcycle shop. Unfortunately, when I did the analysis in the motorcycle shop, the cops uh, uh, they didn't follow up what I said. I said that this is the motivation here. This is a disgruntled employee uh, or a disgruntled customer. But in more probability, in most of these cases, it's going to be this uh, disgruntled customer. So her, his name is going to be in those files. Well, they didn't go all the way through the files, and the reason being is the person who showed up that day when these four people were killed, they believed he acted very suspicious, and, and, and so they focused on him all those years. Meanwhile, the, the real killer, Todd Kolhep, is out killing three more, three more uh, you know, people. So he was interesting. And then the, the, the last one, uh, but I, and I kind of go back to other uh, interviews I've done. I'll kind of relate things I learned from Berkowitz or Manson and Pliant. Uh, the last one was a guy named Harvey, Donald Harvey. I, I worked the case when I was in the Bureau. I coached uh, our agents on how to interview him. And then I had the opportunity uh, several years ago to go in and talk to him uh, myself. He killed se- about 75 hospital patients uh, in, the, uh, in the Midwest. He was an orderly. And the interview, like, like so many of these, the interviews are just so, there's just so nonchalant about what they did. It's just like you know, telling me about your trip to the, uh, you know, to the Nassau Bahamas on your vacation. It, it, there's just no remorse uh, at all. Man. Uh, all right, John, if you could hang on, we got a million other questions we want to ask you. John Douglas, uh, Mind Hunter, of course, from the FBI, is here. We'll talk more with John in just a moment. We also have $1,000 we're going to give away. Continue our uh, conversation. John Douglas has joined us, the author of yet another book, this one called The Killer Across the Table came out this week. I'm so fascinated about what you're talking about with the interrogations and the lighting and the temperature and, and all of that, the way the room is staged. How did you figure out what the right recipe is in that matter? And, and does it change from killer to killer? It, it does uh, change from, from killer to, uh, to killer. Uh, and it just... I don't know. It's a kind of a sense I had. Uh, I mean, what what would disturb me if uh, if I'm going to be interviewed now? Uh, if I per, uh, did a particular type of crime, what would be what would be a trigger? What would 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 kind of kind of break me down? So I, I would uh, give an example. It's not even a homicide. I did a, a major public corruption case in Detroit some years ago, and where you had a group of uh, judges that were uh, uh, that were on the take that were fixing cases, and then they run off on, on uh, gambling junkets to Las Vegas, and they were into cocaine. And, and uh, the office, they worked this case two years, and they were going to take down half a dozen, uh, or I guess it was about eight, eight uh, judges going to take them down. And they had someone specifically who they were targeting. And so I went in and I assessed. I assessed the targets, assessed all the, assessed the bad guys. And I, I went back to them. I said, well, number one, the two people you have to do the interview of this uh, of the, uh, the one of the suspects they're not the right personality uh, they, they, 
and I told him to their faces, you're just a little bit too aggressive, too, uh, too abrasive to do this kind of interview. And the main thing is, is that you're targeting the wrong guy here. The guy you're targeting, this particular judge, I said, if you walk into his bathroom in the morning and look at his bathroom mirror, you probably find lip prints on, on the mirror. This guy loves himself so much. He's such an e- egotist, a narcissist. He, if we're trying to flip a guy, this isn't the kind of guy you want to flip. Oh, really? Who, who do you think? We should be flipping the clerk of the court. The clerk of the court, the clerk of the court here, he's an older man, has some health issues. He's the one who's been, been steering these cases to these judges here, and he's gotten pretty much nothing out of the deal. This is how we're going to do it. And then, so what happened it was I then became kind of like a, a producer, director, and staged this interrogate, an interrogation room that they didn't have. It never existed. But within 24 hours, I made this an interrogation or kind of a holding stage where we're going to put this guy for a short period of time before we go in and do uh, do the interview. But in this holding stage, this kind of bullpen area, it's going to be two o'clock in the morning, and we're going to have a whole cadre of agents sitting behind uh, uh, tech, technological uh, devices, listening in. Uh, we're going to have file cabinets with names of all the people involved in the case, and I went, and there was a lot more to it, and so. Uh, so each one is is uh, is a bit different, and you saw a little bit of that in Mine Hunters uh, when this majorette was killed down in uh, in South Carolina, and they put a they staged it and they put a prop into the room. Uh, in reality, it was much it was even much more dramatic in real life uh, when I, I did that than what was even portrayed uh, on television, which was which was amazing, but it was amazing being there and, and seeing the reaction when I introduced, in this case, it was a rock uh, that was used to murder a, a, a girl, and I placed it on a 45-degree angle off in the corner of the room, still had blood uh, on the rock, and even though this guy passed the polygraph the day before, uh, I said, bring him in, and you want to determine if this guy really did it, you will see a reaction to that, uh, you know, to that rock without pointing your finger and, and telling him where it is. And the next day they bring him in, and they they call me up and they say, John, it was an unbelievable reaction he had. He just he he just here's a guy passed the polygraph. Now he's trembling, he's shaking, he's looking over, over at at, at the rock. And I already coached them on how to conduct the interview to provide a. Uh, the right face-saving scenario for him. So he said, John, not only did he commit or did he admit uh, to the homicide, he admitted to a rape over in Rome, Georgia, years earlier, where he was a suspect, and they never were able to get him. Mm-hmm. So each one is, is, a, is a, 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 a little different, uh, uh, each, each criminal. Uh, you mentioned some of the technology that's evolved in terms of the listening in to some of these interrogations, but has technology made its way into that interrogation room, or is it still a very old-fashioned human-to-human interaction? It, it's old-fashioned. Uh, it's a good question, too. It's, it's old-fashioned, uh, uh, the, the old way, not, not the technology type of thing. Uh, uh, but where I got involved now is, is I was on a panel two weeks ago in New York City with Amanda Knox from Italy. I helped free her. Uh, out of uh, out of Perugia, Italy, when she was wrongfully convicted, we also had Damien Eccles of the West Memphis Three. Uh, it was an HBO series uh, with uh, Joe Berlinger and produced it called Paradise Lost. And I got involved in this. Uh, Peter Jackson, of Lord of the Rings, brought me in on the case along with a bunch of forensic people to take a look at this case where three three eight year old boys were uh, were murdered and three teens teenagers were accused of killing them. So so. The technology—it's not so much. It's not. 
this technology, but technology maybe like technology, like not so much interrogation, but forensics has gotten so much so much better. But there's still there's still um, a, a belief by the public that we can get DNA all the time, and it's not every case you can get DNA, and so they call it the CSI effect, meaning that even when, when you're bringing a case to court, the jurors are presenting a case, but where's the DNA? So what happens now is that the, the, the prosecutor has to tell the jurors that, hey, look, go, we've got a strong case here, but we don't have DNA. We don't, so don't, you know, this is not criminal minds or CSI. We just do not have DNA. We're talking to John Douglas, the author of several books about his experience as one of the first profilers for the FBI. His latest book is called The Killer Across the Table, Unlocking the Secrets of Serial Killers and Predators. And I guess I'm curious as to if any of these guys has ever shocked you. You've sat across the table from some of the most ruthless people in our country's history when it comes to murders and, and, and other crimes as well. Is Has anybody ever shocked you? And, and who was that? I mean, something that even though you've heard the worst of the worst, maybe something that caught you off guard? Yeah. Well, well, there's just so many. But the um, one of the ones was uh, out of Philadelphia, the prosecutor had me go over to uh, basically interpret the crime so he could best present this case because the subject, Gary Heidnick was his name, uh, was going to claim insanity as a, as a defense. And his crime uh, was partially portrayed in the movie uh, uh, Silence of the Lambs when uh, the, the Buffalo Bill character kept a woman in the pit. Well, that was Gary Heidnick. And Gary Heidnick uh, in Philadelphia had a pit in, in his cellar, and, and he would... The difference was when he put a victim in the pit, he filled the pit up with water. And then he had shackles on the victim's uh, 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 wrists and ankles. And he would get an electric wire, and he, he would torture them using electricity. And he, at the time, he had about six, six women uh, in, in his basement uh, when he did this. One of them he ended up accidentally, so he says accidentally killing her, but he didn't accidentally uh, put her in a meat grinder and then fed her to the other victims. That's what he did. And I did that interview wow. some years ago with 60 Minutes and Leslie Stahl. It was one of her first, first cases uh, that she did on, on 60 Minutes. Uh, and uh, she was horrified because I went into I went into uh, Pittsburgh Penitentiary and did the the interview with him. And, and the thing about it is, is the it's the talking about the crime with me. It's no big deal. It's it's just when I started talking about his relationships relationships with his mother, and and he just went crazy. He just broke down. He tried to pull the microphone off off his chest. And with so many of them. More so than a father, it's always a mother, a mother thing. Whether as an early, uh, as a young child or an infant, even there's this abandonment. Um, there's maybe neglect of some type, physical, sexual, emotional type of uh, you know of abuse, and this child is kicked around from one one family to another family. And it's not to say that. You, by coming from this family type or type of family, you're going to grow up to be a, a violent person. But what's going to happen here is, is you're, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough on, on this, this child. And if there's nothing to or no one to intercept this child, counsel the child, uh, and and uh, give the child nurturing and love, uh, we're going to see him. Law enforcement's going to see him down the road. And you're going to start seeing some of the indicators of 
the big one. Uh, I've spoken to uh, SPCA investigators up in Canada. Uh, animal cruelty. Uh, animal cruelty is, is a big one. We used to say enuresis, bedwetting due to emotional problems, psychological problems this child is experiencing, and fire setting, which is a pretty good one too because that's a, that's a crime of power with, with uh, these types of offenders. But, but animal cruelty, animal cruelty is the, uh, you know, is a, you know, is a big one. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good predictor. It's such a predictor that after all these years, came up with this research in the early 80s. It wasn't just until a year ago now. The uh, the FBI on the Uniform Crime Report has a special category for animal cruelty. In the past, when police would have a case of animal cruelty in say L.A., uh, they would put it under other. What does that mean, other? So now there's a special, a special category, animal cruelty, because they're saying, hey, maybe there is something to the research that, that we all did back in the, uh, in, in the 80s relative to animal cruelty and the prediction of potentially uh, of violent behavior down the road. John, we're running up against the clock, but I'd love if you could stick around because I have a question about um, school shooters when we come back. Gary and Shannon, we're talking to John Douglas, one of the FBI's first profilers. One of the uh, unfortunate things that we've had to cover many times in the last several years is the uh, school shootings that we've seen. Is there a way to profile the school shooters that we have seen to this point? And if there is, is there a way to prevent them? Yes, that's a good question because it's kind of interesting when you follow the research on it. At first, there was a research done, FBI, uh, Secret Service, and then they said there's no, no, they, they were like there wasn't really a, a predictor. Then there was another research, and you know they they're saying well there could be some you know some flags here. I, I believe that you you can I, 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 that certainly enough to put a potential a potential problem here in, in this system here on, on the front burner. Uh, the problem is, is when you start looking and profiling the schools themselves, generally they're very, very large, large schools. The kids are lost uh, within that, uh, you, know, you know, that environment. But it, it does it when this crime finally happens. It's not generally, it's not always a surprise that, that there would have been a family member would have noticed some behavior of this child, the, the asocial behavior, uh, playing with uh, video games. Uh, into violent themes, you know, with guns, things along those lines, getting on the Internet and, and looking up different ways to commit you know, various crimes or making devices, explosive uh, uh, devices here. Uh, so it's just it's a question of, of the, the indicators are there. It's just you have to feel free. The student body, the teachers have to feel free to provide this information, say student body to provide the information to you know, to someone, it could be even like a suggestion box, or uh, but where they still want to remain anonymous. But I believe you can. You can. There are ways to you know intercept you know this. Uh, the most recent one in Colorado. I'd be interested to see the background. I don't know the background. You probably know better than I. But but there had to be some indicators along the ways, particularly when you're dealing, you say, with multiple offenders. There had to be something there. Someone would have known something. They just didn't come forward with the information. Of all the serial killers you have spoken to, who has been the biggest challenge to get into yeah. the inner workings of, of their brain? The, uh, the easy ones are like Kemper. You have so many out in, your, in your part of the country. I spent a lot of time out there. Kemper was easy, 180, uh, 145 IQ. Uh, he, he was fairly easy. A guy named Bitteker, though, Bitteker, uh, they were two people within your, your California system named Bitteker and Norris. And these two were convicted rapists. 
and they were waiting to be rehabilitated. And I use that sarcastically. Uh, and they were re- ready to be rehabilitated. And they, uh, while in prison, they fantasized that they would uh, uh, rape and murder a teenager for every year of a teenager's life uh, from 13 to 19 years of age. So sure enough, they got rehabbed, and they, out they come into the streets of California in the L.A. Uh, area here. And their, uh, their mission here is to get a van, so they get a commercial kind of vehicle, no windows, insulate the interior of the van, so once they get a victim in there, you can't uh, hear any cries for help, and now they go out on the uh, cruising and looking for victims. And what was, uh, to get them to talk, to get, well, it was Bitteker, whose nickname was Pliers Bitteker uh, in prison. They called him Pliers, because what he did, he used Pliers and other devices to torture his victims. And what made, the, what made it horrific even more so, because uh, I would, I would at, at times I'd be teaching that case, and I even let, I even exposed Scott Glenn, the actor who played my position in Silence of the Lambs. I made him listen to it, and he got really angry with me because I made him listen to it. It's the screams and he yells, the torturing, and what we call scripting that is done. Scripting by the offender will script the victim for her to say things during the act, almost making it like the victim is is, is it's a pleasurable you know experiencing. It's really really horrific, and and so I'm dealing with this sadistic. SOB, and uh, I've been talking to him, you know, showing this feigned empathy, uh, and I have a female agent with me, and he's never looking at her. If she'll ask a question, he looks, at, you know, he looks at me, and the only time with him, the only time he showed any emotion is because when I got into the family, the early family, the early childhood, the relationship or lack of relationship with the mother, and and, and there was some there's some teary eyes, you know, with him, and and really, it's not. It, it's no tears for the victim. They believe, falsely believe, they are the victims. Uh, they they are have the ones that have been vic- you know victimized here, and uh, they're the ones who who are suffering. They can't identify with the people that they rape, the people that they uh, you know that they kill. They they believe, and that uh, you know, and, and I'll tell them, and I'll at some point I'll be honest with them. I'll say, look. It's, it's predictable the way you turned you turned out. It's predictable because of your early childhood. It's a shame. However, you knew right from wrong. You knew the nature and consequences of your actions. Uh, uh, you you did certain things. You you may have some type of mental illness, but you're not a psychotic. You have you obviously mentally ill, but but you are more a personality disorder, psychopathic type of, you know type of individual here, who covered his tracks. And you have to face the consequences, man. You got life or you got death. Uh, this is what you earned. You, you earned it. So I feel sorry for your the upbringing, uh, what happened, but uh, you made the, the choice and you made the wrong choices. DNA technology, genealogy, databases have made huge impacts on cold yes. cases over the course of the, la- the, the last year especially. But we've seen, it seems like every couple of days we get a headline about a new cold case that's closed. When you see those headlines and you look back on the people who are eventually arrested for some of these murders and rapes, etc., you feel like, you know what, I had it right 30 years ago. We just needed technology to catch up with what we were doing in the interview room. Right. Yeah, you could. You're exactly right. Because you you can we can come up with the right analysis, but you really need you really need the uh, the tools. And the DNA has been amazing. I mean, they got now 
you know, I just did a case in, in uh, Billings, Billings, Montana. I was talking about it yesterday. Uh, and 45 years old, 45 years old, uh, this case. So I got me, I'm part of a cold case foundation uh, 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 out of uh, Utah, and we get these cases. And I analyzed a, a case, and, and they solved it. They solved it. But it was interesting, and they solved it through DNA. But the profile that I'm doing like 45 years later uh, was, it was interesting. Here's a couple who's murdered in a house. Each, the husband's in one room, the, the wife is in another room. Uh, the wife is stripped down naked. There's a bowl of ice cubes next to the body. Uh, and all the windows are, are pulled up in the house. It's wintertime, freezing. The thermostats, uh, you know, turn really, really, uh, really, really low. And so the analysis that we did, and this was like a couple of months ago, but they just got the guy. Uh, or they just identified the guy. Unfortunately, the guy is dead now, but DNA, DNA identified him. Uh, worked, with the, uh, worked with the woman uh, in, in, a, uh, in a warehouse type of furniture store, I believe, I believe it was. And I believe, and I knew it was a, a local case. And what the bad guy was trying to do, he was trying to throw off the, uh, the time of death. And that's why he, he uh, in, in my opinion, that's why the windows were pull, pulled up, let, let the cold air in, turn down the thermostat. The ice cubes, though, I, I don't know. I would have, that would have been a great question. Had he, had he lived, he may have done things with the ice cubes with the victim to, to cool the internal uh, parts of the, uh, you know, of the female uh, you know, victim. But, but uh, technology and the way it's advancing, it's getting better and better uh, you know, for uh, law enforcement. Uh, so we're able to cut them off at the past, hopefully. But still, at any given time, with serial offenders, you know, we have, and I said it for years, at least 35 to 50 operating around the country. And you will have, anywhere you have any kind of runaways, called throwaways today, or you have prostitution, you have, you have a drug culture, you have uh, uh, street people. Uh, these are fertile grounds, easy pickings, plus the Internet. The Internet now, rather than get in a car and cruise for your victim, you get on the Internet and you, you just kind of cast out some lines, and, and, uh, depending on what you're looking for. And sooner or later, these guys will get a, you will get a, uh, a nibble. And unfortunately, the police... You can only do so much in monitoring whether it's these pedophiles looking for children, or or a guy, uh, you know, looking for a, a, a vulnerable woman through a, a dating site. Uh, they can't be everywhere at every time. So you almost have to be doing profiling yourselves. And and so for the ladies out there listening on your dates, one of the things, and my mother would tell my sister this, is always ask the, the, the person you're want to date or you're you're seeing relationships. What is the relationship between the person you're seeing or want to see and his mother? And then if he loses it, you know to get the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. head for dodge. <laughs> you know, because if he, you know, saw her, I can't stand her and fights and everything, and she was a hooker, but you know, whatever. Uh, it does, it does have uh, have an impact on the male more so than a father. And the father may be passive, absent, but it's more so. It's it's the mother. John, when I uh, I lived in Seattle, uh, when I was about 25 years old, one of my girlfriend's moms would always say to us, be careful when you go out, girls. Remember, Ted Bundy was a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean... I've done a bunch of cases, uh, you know, up there uh, in in Seattle in the King County, you know, area. Yeah, because, because, you know, like, you got Zac Efron now playing the part, you know, good-looking guy. And Bundy was a pretty uh, good-looking guy. But 
But I heard him even say the other day that it was like white privilege that he got away with this. No, that's BS. But how he got away with this is, is they had good look privilege. He was a good-looking guy. Is how he was able to get away with these crimes, and 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 I would just put someone you know off guard, a potential a potential victim. Or here's a guy who has a cast on his arm, or he's on he's on crutches here, or he's or he's by, uh, driving a little Volkswagen uh, Volkswagen you know Beetle. So it's. Uh, you know, it wasn't any white privilege, Zach. From this, this was because of he, he had good looks, and he and he and he, uh, he he took advantage of that. John, this is fascinating. We can't wait to dive into this book, The Killer Across the Table: Unlocking the Secrets of Serial killer, Killers and Predators. And you you sold yourself short. I think you said a dozen books. I counted fifteen, and that doesn't include oh, the, the nonfiction. So <laughs> I see it's a little dementia now, man. A little uh, dementia. I'm just experiencing. Well, John, again, I had a Robin Bertolucci too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And we'll even throw a shout out to Eric Leonard as well, who uh, who oh, did Eric that Leonard show with too. you. Great guy, really, really great guy. Awesome, John. We appreciate all of your time. Thanks for uh, thank for taking so much time with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Don't be surprised if we call you again and again and again. (laughs) Go ahead. Feel free to. Uh, you got to check out that book, The Killer Across the Table from John Douglas. If you want to hear that whole interview, make sure you check out our podcast as well a little bit later today. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. So I was just doing a deep dive on the serial killer that John Douglas was talking about, Gary Heitnick, mm. who was, oh, he was part the of the, with the pit. inspiration for yeah. Silence of the Lambs. It turns out that he had a congregation while he was keeping these women in this pit He had about 50 members of his congregation. He was Bishop Heitnick, and he called it the United Church of the Ministers of God. And they would meet every Sunday inside his home to hear his unique spin on the Bible. And just underneath his feet was the pit with the girls. Um, We didn't get a chance to talk too much about it, but the TV show, the one on Netflix called Mindhunter, they have announced a season two. It does come out in August, they say. It's probably going to be about eight episodes. And this one specifically, season two, is going to concentrate on the Atlanta child murders oh, yeah. from the early 80s. So they're talking about um, eight episodes. John Douglas did speak with uh, Indie Wire about it. Atlanta Monster is a podcast all about this, too, if you want to get ready for it. It was an excellent podcast. And they're talking about the the ongoing... They wanted to do the this Netflix series for... Um, Mindhunter. They wanted to do a five-year arc on this. So they've asked, I guess David Fincher, who uh, put this thing together, asked the actors, hey, can you give me five years here? And they apparently have all said yes. Um, the guy, of course, who plays uh, John Douglas's character, they don't call him John Douglas in the show, they call him Holden Ford, Jonathan Groff, is in for the whole run, whatever it's going to be. But they're also talking about using uh, David Berkowitz, Charles Manson, that whole thing. So they've still got a bunch of seasons. But again, season two comes out in August. All right, a lot going on. Coming back, we will talk trending right here on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. That whole thing, that was pretty loud, wasn't it? Yeah, that was was really loud. And can you stop doing that? Daddy's little girl. Stop doing Ah. that. It's really scaring me. You can move your eye. Can you do that? Gary can do a lazy eye. I'm going to show Monica. Show Monica and then... Monica, try not to be freaked out by this. He can do this thing where he moves one of his eyes back and forth. You know what? Let's post this. Uh, it, why is she laughing? That's not funny. That's a that's a great party trick. Have you seen it? Chapter two trailer. Uh, yeah. You jerk. You made me watch it. Frightening, isn't it? I. My heart started beating faster. It was terrifying. 
I don't like scary movies. I watch. I don't do well with horror. And I, you are a jerk. I thank you. And uh, I watched the first one in broad daylight. <laughs> Over the course of three days. Yes. She kept stopping it in the middle of the afternoon. Oh, that's the only way I can watch scary movies is if the <laughs> windows are open. Yes. It's 12 noon. Yes. I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's summertime. Yep. You've got to have some nice light coming in. Hey, at 1230, when we get into Swamp Watch, we're going to talk about the president today suggesting that John Kerry broke the law. That he wants John Kerry prosecuted under the Logan Act for speaking with Iranian officials and criticizing the current president's policies with Iran. Uh, the president said, what I'd like to see with Iran, I'd like to see them call me. <laughs> John, John Kerry speaks to them a lot and John Kerry tells them not to call. Anyway, we'll talk more about that at 1230. We get into Swamp Watch. Time for What's Happening. Told you about this story earlier in the show about that gun bust in Bel Air at a mansion linked to the Getty family. According to uh, authorities, this is J. Paul Getty's son Gordon's mistress's home where he uh, had a secret family with her, apparently had three daughters with her. Well, they found so many guns, more than a thousand guns from this home in Holmby Hills. And it turns out the guy that they arrested for having these guns, and I, I guess they, they've got him on trying to sell the guns as well, he has a bit of a record. He allegedly held people at gunpoint in 2017 in Malibu at another residence owned by the mistress. Apparently there was a cleaning crew there that was called by a building manager, and he held them all at gunpoint because he didn't know that they were going to be there. Not only did this guy have this thousand plus weapons uh, in this home, I guess he, there was a bunch of manufacturing equipment that he may have been making some of these guns uh, as well. So anyway, that he's bailed out right now. So, hey, he's out free walking around uh, Facebook. One of the co-founders of Facebook, Chris Hughes, has been trending on Twitter today because he actually called for Facebook to be broken up. Yeah, he said that Mark Zuckerberg is too powerful. He controls too much of the content on, on Facebook Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, that he is kind of the uh, purveyor of content for 2 billion people and that that's too much and there should be government oversight. Uh, it was an, in an interesting look at the arguments, the op-ed piece in the New York Times. He's also interviewed by uh, NBC News and is expected to go on, I think, uh, NBC Nightly News tonight. He's actually getting some support in uh, in Congress because they want a governmental breakup of this, similar to what we saw with Standard Oil, with AT&T. The difference being you can sign up for Facebook for absolutely no cost. And uh, that was not the case with Standard Oil or AT&T. Oh, we were talking about it. It Chapter 2, the trailer is out. And gosh, it looks great. The kids are all grown up and they're returning to dairy. And the trailer features an adult Beverly Marsh, who is played by Jessica Chastain, and she returns to her childhood home. And she discovers that her dad has died, and the elderly woman is her new homeowner. And the elderly woman is... Eh, don't give creepy. it away. Is creepy. Don't She's give it creepy. away. She's creepy. Okay. Yeah. Creepy AF. And apparently is allergic to clothing. We She's the, wearing uh, clothing at the beginning. The trailer's but, up on our socials, too, at Gary and Shannon. I've been running around the building doing that. 
Old lady dance. No, you have not. <laughs> she, has, she legitimately scared oh my, me this Nick morning. Was, <laughs> Nick was so scared. The thing is, she was standing right in front of me, and then she was like, and it still scared me. <laughs> By the oh, way, man, James, see that. James McAvoy is in this, who is a fantastic actor. Bill Hader is in this. Oh, this is basically yeah, the Losers Club from the first one as adults coming back together into Derry. Um, the old, you, this is the part that I think is the funniest. I you look watched, like the old lady. No, <gasps> oh. I did not say that. Oh, you God. watched this thing over my shoulder today in a well-lit room. Like it was, there was no, <laughs> there was, there was nothing scary. <laughs> yeah. And you freaked out. Yeah. I'm not good. You freaked with... out when I flinched. I, there were, I flinched at nothing and you jumped. Yeah. And then you just watched it again about 10 minutes ago. And you freaked out again. I know. You knew everything that was coming. Do you I want know. to know the worst part? She's telling everybody to watch this trailer, right? I was I was doing something online, maybe <laughs> doing something. She stood, I don't know how long she was standing outside this window with a water bottle, just creepily standing. And I look over and jump about five feet. Yeah. And she, she says, watch this trailer. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Get out of uh, here. Disneyland also uh, trending today for the way that they're going to enforce the rules in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We oh, told boy. you how you had to make a reservation for a four-hour chunk of time to get into the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge coming they're, up. They're going to kick you out. They're going to have stormtroopers run you out of there after four hours. Yeah. Uh, they're going to issue the colored wristbands to you during a reservation-only period each of these four-hour windows. I have a question. How much can you accomplish in four hours? I mean, sometimes it's, it's like two rides. Well, That park is yes. much smaller than... It is smaller. I think, yeah, that, I think they're it. assuming that you'll be able to go through the stuff. Like, you'll be able to look at the cocktail lounge, the restaurant, um, some experiential shops. I think there's really only one big actual ride for you to go on. Oh, okay. Um, but they're saying that you're going to be asked to leave at the end. And, by the way... If you don't get out, it says stragglers will be dealt with by the First Order stormtroopers that will be patrolling the land. What if yes. you're already in line waiting? Like, do they pull you out of line, or how does that work? They tase you. Okay. Right. And then they put you in the cell where they locked me up. Yes, they put you in uh, They put you in the cell with, uh, with uh, the Gamorrean guard or something like that. It's yeah. a legit cell. To... That's not... With bars. I know you don't believe me, but I was in the cell. It was with bars. Do you know how to prevent a... yourself from going into Disneyland jail? Oh, okay, jail? don't break the law. Duh. You and your rules. You and all your laws. All right, coming up next. You can't tie down a free spirit. Dennis Rodman Are is you... in trouble Daddy's with the law. little girl. Stop doing it. It really is the perfect transition. Mm. It to Dennis Rodman. <laughs> oh, man. He's a real piece of work. You won't believe what he's been caught stealing. Think Gwyneth Paltrow. The souls of children in dairy. Gary and Shannon, with your chance at $1,000 as well, coming up next. Are you? President said that a trade deal with China is possible this week, so the Dow only down about 194, a bit of a rebound from when it did seem like the talks had broken down. At the uh, 1 o'clock hour, Alex Stone is going to join us. Uh, federal charges were filed today against the synagogue shooter from Poway from a couple of weeks ago. And we do know that the U.S. attorney did announce federal hate crime charges against that guy. So we'll talk with Alex coming up uh, more at the uh, top of the hour. Well, oh, the, and just a quick before we get yeah. into this. Sorry, I wanted yeah. to mention that 
uh, Michelle tweeted, am I to understand that Shannon has been in both Dodger jail and Disneyland jail? Yes. Uh, well, technically you weren't in Dodger jail. I was cited just, and released. Cited and released. Your own recognizance. Where will it be next? I don't know. Could be here. We don't I, have a jail here. Yeah. Have you been up there? Have you been upstairs? Where? There's a couple of places up there. The there. pods? Yeah. The pods scare me. What do they do in those pods? Cleanse. No. I feel like they're like Scientology edit booths where like you go into the pod, you know, or or the Catholic church, the, uh, you know, confessionals, you go in this little box and you talk about everything you've done wrong. Never been in one of them. You haven't. No. Feel free to, if you want to confess whatever you want. To you? We'll listen. You want to go to church this weekend? Nick's basically a priest. He was in the robes at one time. Was. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen that picture? No. Oh, I'll get it. I've got it saved here. (laughs) Oh, no wonder this is a religious program. Is it, it is a religious program. Oh, I love programs. All right. Uh, Dennis Rodman okay. has been the subject of many a bizarre video. You guys, okay, so the, the It trailer is going to be the scariest thing you see today. This Dennis Rodman stealing from a yoga place in the middle of the day uh, is the funniest not, thing you'll see. Let's not jump to conclusions about stealing. Okay, so the video shows Dennis Rodman mm-hmm. and two women and one guy walking into this yoga studio. It's called Vibes. Vibes Hot Yoga in Newport Beach. And they've got like the showroom at the front where they've got all the different clothes. There's like a couch with a pillow that says, good vibes. Because that's <laughs> what I want in my yoga studio. And the girl behind the desk is it your typical yogi Tall, thin, healthy, total New- juice. She's Newport Beach. She's a juicer. She's Newport She's Beach in human a, form. She's wearing a shirt that says, good vibes. Good vibes. She's a juicer. She's a juicer. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, so they walk in, and, and one of the women, you can see, she's got this big purse, and she starts going over to the clothes while Dennis Rodman's talking to the juicer. My favorite part is that he's just standing. Now, she's, in, she's behind a... Uh, the desk, so she's got a giant computer screen in front of her, and she's got Dennis Rodman in front of her, who's a giant human, and the woman that's with him just kind of casually stands behind the human wall that is Dennis Rodman and starts shoving these clothes into her purse. Right, and then my favorite part of the video is when the guy who's with Dennis Rodman and these women brings in a dolly, like a big silver like, dolly. Like a furniture-moving dolly right. almost. And there's this big crystal on the desk there, like a, what would you call it? Like a, what are those called? Geodes or what are they called? Yeah. It's, it's this massive piece of rock. I mean, it's probably it's uh, the size uh, of a giant uh, basketball. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit bigger, but it's kind of hollow inside with the, with the crystals, you know, rock on the outside, crystals on the inside kind of thing. And this guy is trying to lift it off the counter. You can tell it's really heavy and he's going to ch- try and put it on the dolly, I guess, under the, the guys that he's going to buy it. And he goes over to the dolly and he's trying to lower it down and he's struggling under the weight of this thing. And all of a sudden he just drops it and it shatters and there's just rock and crystal all over the floor. And this poor juicer girl is like, what the hell is going on? The guy who's trying to steal the crystal um, is clearly wasted. Like this, this looks like a bunch of drunk people in the middle of the day coming into a yoga studio and trying to be sly as they blatantly steal things and and then try to steal the crystal. Yeah. Dennis Rodman then is you can't hear this, but he's. 
berating the guy. You could tell yes. just by his hand movements. Like, yes. what did you do? Now look what you've done. You've created this big mess of a giant rock. Well, that crystal was an art piece that was apparently $2,500. So now the owners of Good Vibes are going after Dennis Rodman. They are publicizing this in the hopes of recouping some of the money for that crystal. The, uh, the They said $500 in stolen clothing. Uh, the employees working that day said the three people in that group, the four people actually, uh, all reeked of alcohol. And if, in fact, this is what it appears to be, which is Dennis Rodman sort of leading this band of, of ruffians into this yoga studio. Then he's in big steal. trouble because he's still on probation from a drunk driving incident in January. Uh... <laughs> I was around the same time I think I met him at a Chargers game. Yeah, but can we talk about... I interviewed him, and he was the worst interview of my entire life. He Is it because we- he's a mumble mouth? He was, well, he's high as hell. Oh. And he's wearing Chargers hats. So I was like, oh, this is good, right? So I'm like, oh, so you're a Chargers fan live on the air. He's like, no, I'm a Cowboys fan. And it just went. It just it just kept picking up line. speed That's down a- the hill, man. <laughs> and if you're anywhere other than... Southern California, and you read this story about a high-end theft at a yoga studio in Newport yeah, Beach involving right. Dennis Rodman I know. and someone trying to steal crystals. It's so good. It's so Los Angeles, isn't it? We're such idiots. Oh, Sorry for anybody who's listening out of state, <clears throat> but that's what we do on a daily basis. All right, we'll come back, talk about Swamp Watch. President is uh, had a big rally last night in Florida, and it went exactly like you would expect. We'll also talk about some of the uh, the candidates, Democratic candidates, making their way through Los Angeles, including Pete Boot Edge Edge. I would also Boot like Edge Edge. to give us both a pat on the back for not making any bad vibes jokes throughout that entire story. Namaste. The light in the teacher in me recognizes the light in the teacher in you. Now you're going to make me look up. It's really not that big of a deal. Is it to you specifically or to us? It's really not that big of a deal. It is. I don't want you to be reading. It upset you. It didn't upset me. Uh, Oh. I mean. The guy lives in his basement. We don't know that. Let me tell you. Oh, really? I'm pretty certain that we can determine that guy is still eating cheesy poofs at his mom's bequest. Or... I'll rewrite that. It'll come out much smoother. He's still eating his mom's mac and cheese yes, in his it's basement. all over his shirt. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's an old sweatshirt, too. It's got holes Mom, in it. Mom, there's no wieners in my mac and cheese. It's like a UC Santa Cruz sweatshirt from 1987. <laughs> Why's it got to be Santa Cruz? I don't know. Banana slugs. Top of uh, next hour, we're going to get into the story of the charges filed officially in the synagogue shooting down in Poway that include federal hate crime charges. Also, Mark Saltzman's going to join us to talk about Tech Talk and a little bit more on that Facebook co-founder. One of the guys, he's out of the company now, but when Chris Hughes started with Mark Zuckerberg, they started Facebook. He now says that Facebook is dangerous and needs to be broken up. Probably by the government. 1230, we jump into all things Washington. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. 
Well, yesterday, the House Judiciary Committee voted to recommend the House hold Attorney General William Barr in contempt of Congress for failing to turn over Bob Mueller's unredacted report. Uh, Serena Marshall is joining us from Capitol Hill. She finds herself, as we all do, in the midst of a looming constitutional crisis. How has your day gone now that we're in the middle (laughs) of this crisis? Yeah, well, that's at least according to the Democrats up here on Capitol Hill, Gary. But uh, it's going pretty good. I I can't complain up here. Even in the middle of a crisis like this? (laughs) uh, Well, let's back it up and explain why we're having this crisis, shall we? So this constitutional crisis, as Jerry Nadler described it, after they voted in the House Judiciary Committee to hold the Attorney General in contempt. Now, Speaker Nancy Pelosi agreeing with Nadler, saying it is a constitutional crisis, because they're not being able to do what they call their constitutional obligation. The oath of office that they swore is to be able to have the ability to checks and balances. They say they are a co-equal branch of government, which they are, and the White House is basically blocking their ability to do their job, which is what they are claiming now is a constitutional crisis. All right. Maybe... Let's pull back from the crisis. Let's call it a constitutional uncomfortability. A disagreement. Because if it was a crisis, Nancy Pelosi would have called for a vote immediately. Well, that's an interesting point. Now, Nancy Pelosi is saying they're not going to call for this vote on Barr immediately to have this vote on contempt in the full House before the full House on the floor there, because they're going to wait and see some other contempt charges that they're considering bringing up. And to, to quote her directly, she said that they'll come to the floor when they're ready because there might be some other contempt of Congress issues we want to deal with at the same time. Now, the Speaker's office confirmed to ABC they're looking at holding a package of contempt votes and Democrats tell us that could include potentially Don McGahn and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. So it's unclear why they want to wait. Uh, if it was unclear why they want to wait, that is the reason that they're now giving us. I feel like they think that this uh, Mueller report is going to be like the Nixon audio tape that forced him from office when impeachment was brought up and put on the table. And I don't know if, if they're going to get anything in, in Bob Mueller's full unredacted report that's going to be that weighty. Um, what are we what are we hearing about impeachment? Is that being brought up by Pelosi? Well, she is still tempering uh, those in her party that are making full calls to impeachment. She said they won't go any faster or slower than the facts take us. She wants to go down these roads of investigative hearings that they're having. Just uh, yesterday, after that whole contempt charge over the full unredacted Mueller report, there's a second subpoena, this time from the House Intelligence Committee for the full unredacted Mueller report. So knowing that judiciary is not going to get it, uh, they didn't get it either, the Intelligence Committee, so they're now subpoenaing it as well. Uh, And it's interesting because Nancy Pelosi has basically uh, said that she believes the president is impeaching himself through these, uh, in her words, ways of obstructing Congress's ability to do their job. Now, how does that work? (laughs) How do you impeach yourself? (laughs) Well, she's saying that because he is not allowing Congress, that his administration is not honoring these subpoenas, that that's self-impeaching because he's demonstrating obstruction of justice and disrespect for Congress's, in her words, legitimate role to subpoena, which is true. Congress has that 
legitimate role to subpoena. Now, remember, we should take you back a little bit. Now, one of the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon was his uh, disregard for congressional subpoenas. Right. So that is what Nancy Pelosi is saying here, but she also does not want to take it through that route unless there's firm bipartisan support, unless there uh, is a call to action by constituents. Public sentiment is on her side because she says that it's a very divisive thing for the country. But just the other day, she also believes that the president's trying to goad them into impeaching in order to strengthen up his base. Wow, that's good stuff. I mean, that's that's very dramatic. And I love I love how careful uh, she is being with her language, because then it's not the Congress impeaching him. It's uh, which is which is seen so far in the polls is not what the country wants. But and and she points to that. She says it's a very divisive thing for the country. It'll divide the country. And unless you have your case with great clarity for the American people, her words that she doesn't want to go down that route. Then we have an impeachment crisis. And then I don't. Uh, I think you're we, just. And then we have a crisis yeah, of crises. Crisis. Yeah, he's just obsessed with crisis right now. <gasps> it's like when a four-year-old gets obsessed with one toy, and just can't stop really? playing with. It. Or is it when a woman gets uh, obsessed with that one shade of lipstick you can't get rid of? I like this shade. Oh. Yeah, you do. Oh really? Sorry, I'm sorry you had <laughs> to hear that, Serena. Like <laughs> Thanks, Serena. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Can we not air yeah, out our just, dirty laundry know, in front of other people? They're going to tell. Good Lord. They're start telling embarrassing. people ABC not to come on this show. Yeah, don't waste your time with those people. So I thought it looked good with my coloring, but I guess not. I mean, it's fine. You prefer one of the lighter tones, probably. It's fine. You're not um, as in your face as I am. I think you should go for something in like the uh, the cadaver line of, of lip gloss. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thanks. Something like this, the shade of that jacket. <laughs> Coming up next, Mayor Pete has really pissed off Kamala Harris. She did not see this coming. Crisis of lip color. Okay, stop saying oh, crisis. Mm. Oh, and the president. The president had quite a uh, rambling little news conference today. Oh, and can we play the boot edge edge? Oh, from last night? Yes. Yes. So <laughs> good. Gary right. and Shannon will continue just a moment. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. In the middle of a swamp watch, talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. today. The president was actually talking about medicine prices. He was talking about prescription drug prices today at the White House, but was taking some questions and hit a couple of big um, big topics, including this trade deal with China that's been in the, way, in the uh, works, I should say. Uh, and he talked about, here, Tony, go ahead and throw this up, and I'll make sure that I play some of these sound clips from today. This is the trade war. Let me try that again. This is the trade war. <laughs> the vice there premier is. is coming here today. We were getting very close to a deal. Then they started to renegotiate the deal. We can't have that. We can't have that. He talked about former Secretary of State John Kerry and suggested that he's been on the uh, phone with uh, some dudes from Iran suggesting that Iran not call the White House. John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He's talking to Iran and has been, has many meetings and many phone calls, and he's telling them what to do. That is a total violation of the Logan Act. He went on to say uh, what he would like is he would like to see them call me. They'd like to see Iran call the White House. Uh, John Kerry tells them not to call. And then a question about Don Jr.'s subpoena from a Senate committee. I was very surprised to see my son. My son's a very good person, works very hard. The last thing he needs is Washington, D.C. He could rather not ever be involved. 
It's kind of funny. That's funny because the news just yesterday before that subpoena was issued was that he was in contention. He was he was considered in the running for a seat in Wyoming. Yeah. And so for the president to say that, I'm reading between the lines, the president doesn't think his son should be in politics. And he's on the record with that now. That's good. Um, in D.C. right now, the uh, Boston Red Sox are at the White House. They just started a ceremony. The president was there with the... Uh, the World Series trophy and the world champion Boston Red Sox, but a bunch of them didn't show up. Um, the White House also screwed up when it said that the Red Sox were coming to town and spelled Sox, S-O-C-K-S, mm, as opposed to S-O-X. Oh, boy. That's all right. Uh, Joe Biden is in town. So is Pete Buttigieg. Biden Ooh. was... Pete what? Well, I'll let the president explain. We have a young man, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. They say edge, edge. That guy. <laughs> why would that be a? Why would that be a point that you had to hammer home? I think. Oh it, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> so Biden's with Garcetti last night. They go to King Taco. They eat some tacos. They have some soda. What is it with these little stops in these places that are quintessentially Los Angeles or whatever other city they're going to be in and in the eating thing? Just the photo op well, of the eating thing. It's so bl- it, it's so blatantly gratuitous. It's like when Eric Garcetti was in Iowa and said, we're just like you. We have the USS Iowa. I still can't believe he said that. I mean, for a smart guy. Good Lord. Um, so Garcetti is hanging out with Biden last night eating tacos. And then he was with Pete Buttigieg today for a fundraiser. And he also is best friends with Kamala Harris. This is going to be really tough for the mayor to endorse. Who's who's he going to endorse? Maybe he just waits and waits and waits. I wonder. Well, he's going to wait and wait and wait because he believes that his value in the he believes the value of his endorsement is much larger than it actually is. Democratic strategists are taking note that Kamala Harris does not have California locked up. And she should have California locked up. California, with all of its nearly 500 delegates, Pete Buttigieg would not be coming here and spending four days here if there was any chance she had it locked up. Well, apparently all of the Hollywood people and LGBTQ community, everything, very enamored with Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Yeah, but here's the thing. What do we value in California? And I don't mean we like you and I, but I mean we as a state and unfortunately socially, we value flash in the pan, celebrity status, the hottest thing going. This is the high fashion. This and Pete Buttigieg, right? Buttigieg. Is right now that thing, at least for the Democratic Party. Well, here's the thing. I mean, we haven't had a stalwart, if it will, if it, if it will work here, because I can't think of a better freaking word. We haven't had a. A George W. Bush since George W. Bush because of his dad's name notoriety. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, Clinton, the governor of Arkansas, uh, you know, uh, Obama. Who the hell was he at this point in the campaign? Well, So that, 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 it, it, we have in Trump. We have been as a country kind of taken with the newcomers, been taken with the newcomers in recent years. Yes, that being said, we know Biden, of course, is at the top of the polls when it comes to Demo- the Democratic nomination. But but that's a good point in that at this point in 2008, 
Barack Obama was the guy who was fourth in line. I mean, he was, he was just getting a little buzzy because he was a great speaker and he could galvanize crowds and everything. And, and he was young like Pete Buttigieg. Exactly. He, I mean, he had some of that that uh, pizzazz, perhaps, that the other candidates didn't have. Pete Buttigieg is going to have to get a little bit more socialisty, I think, to attract those millennials. Isn't that the weirdest thing that you've said today? Yes. That the guy who happens to be married to another man is going to have to get a little bit more lefty if they're going to if they're going to if he's going to get any sort of pull from the Democratic Party. Being married to a man is not lefty anymore. It is uh it's passé. I wonder if in fact this is going to be the downfall of Kamala Harris, something like yeah. this. Because here's the thing, here's the negative I would I would associate with Kamala Harris. Outside of the politics, outside of, you know, whether you agree with her political stance on stuff, she's a politician. Uh, I'm not saying Pete Buttigieg is not a politician. Clearly, he's been, you know, he's been mayor, which is not, you know, it's not a high profile politician, but he's been a politician. But that's what she's been. She's been attorney general. She's been a prosecutor. She's been now a senator. And that comes uh, that brings with it, I think, a, a certain negative connotation. She's always running. She's but, always running for something. Yeah, but then again, I, I mean, the way, when I say that, though, that, that Bernie she's a Sanders, career politician, and that doesn't look good. But Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden have been in Washington right. D.C. forever, right. and they're the ones who are the two well, people at the top of the polls. And that's why the newness is the new hotness, right? With Pete Buttigieg, because you're like, wait, who's this guy? Edge, edge. Um, but then again, the 22 other people, however many other people, they're all. Falling by the wayside. Long-time politicians out, outside of somebody like uh, Andrew Yang and who was the who was I'm the not going to remember whatever she was like a not going to remember that name. Dead people. Yeah, she's not going to remember that name. All right, coming up next, federal prosecutors are now charging the synagogue shooter with more than 100 federal hate crimes. We will get the latest from Alex Stone when we return. Also coming up in the next hour, Tech Talk. How is this Uber Lyft strike working? Facebook, what will become of it? What is the response to the co-founder of Facebook saying that there should be government oversight, that Mark Zuckerberg has too much power? Oh, right. And your chance at $1,000. Uh, on our social media, if you want to go check out my wonky eye. I <laughs> oh, let me check this out. If you go to... <laughs> Nick put our location as Dairy. Oh, that's Aww. creepy. Yes, that's fantastic. Anyway, I can do that thing with my eye. We'd love to see what you can do with your eyes. Why don't you send us a send us a photo or a video? Oh my god, that is so creepy. <laughs> Go to Instagram and check out the Gary and Shannon page there on Instagram. You'll mm. see what I do with my eye. All right. Gary and Shannon will continue after this. Gary and Shannon are some students from Highlands Ranch STEM school there in Colorado where there was the most recent shooting at a school who talked with reporters today as they're remembering the events of what happened there. The three students who were able to disarm that shooter leapt from their desks, they say, without a word and no thought for their own safety as they spotted the gun. They slammed the shooter into into the wall. They struggled with him. That's when shots rang out. And Kendrick Castillo, who was one of the guys, actually led the charge, was the one shot and killed his family, saying that it was not shocking that their son would do something so heroic. Bottom of the hour, we're going to get into a series of uh, crazy science stories that we've been um that we've been compiling for the last few days, including uh, an interesting look at the aftermath of the fire at Notre Dame Cathedral.
But down in San Diego today, federal charges filed against the shooter at the synagogue in Poway. Alex Stone joins us live now with the latest on what's going on. Good afternoon, Alex. Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Yeah, not a big surprise. We knew these charges were probably coming at some point because it seemed like from the beginning it was such a clear case of a hate crime, and the, the feds always take a hate crime. So that we, we knew it was sooner or later going to be coming, even though just last week the DA in San Diego County announced state charges. Now these federal charges will go on top of those, and it'll be uh, two separate concurrent cases that are going, but 109 hate crimes counts now filed against John Ernest uh, in the last couple of hours. And prosecutors say it's clear to them that he carried out the attack on the synagogue and tried to set fire to a mosque uh, about a month and a half ago out of hatred for the Jewish and Muslim communities. And they say they feel like this is a pretty clear cut case. Do you know how this will work? Is this uh, would these trials go on at the same time with two sets of prosecutors? You know, we've seen it happen before. We saw it with uh, Dylan Roof uh, in, in the uh, the Pittsburgh case as well, the, the synagogue there. They're dealing with uh, the same thing. Typically, one will go before the other, but they've got to figure it out. They don't know yet. Will the feds go first? Will uh, the locals go first? The Both cases could get them the death penalty, even though under California law right now, the death penalty getting it doesn't mean a whole lot since Gavin Newsom has put it on hold or dismantled it as much as he can. But on the federal side, he could get the death penalty and could actually get the death penalty under federal law. So they may decide to go the, the federal route. We don't know. It's going to be up to the attorney general, the U.S. attorney general, if they go for the death penalty. And prosecutors in San Diego say they don't know what the AG will do. As of right now, It'll just be going after life in federal prison, but then they could decide at some point, depending on what the AG decides, if they're going to go for the death penalty. Of course, Lori Kay, 60 years old, lost her life in that foyer of the synagogue. It, it seems as though he had tried to reload, if I remember correctly, and then took off with uh, with a bunch of extra rounds of ammo. And now we're hearing he called 911 from the car? Yeah, well, and we had known initially that, that he had called and wanted to surrender, but we didn't know what he had said on that 911 call. And now in this federal complaint that we've got, which is a lot of pages, there are a lot of new details about how this whole thing unfolded. We know that he had the extra clips on him, but he apparently maybe didn't know how to reload, uh, couldn't do it quickly enough as he was being chased by the veteran who became a, a hero afterwards and by the off-duty Border Patrol agent. Uh, who came out and fired at him, and and so he ran away. We also now know, by the way, that he did get the gun only the day before, on that Friday, before he allegedly carried it out on Saturday. So he couldn't have been real accustomed to and really understand this gun. Plus, it doesn't seem like he really understood weapons very well anyway. But that may have played a role on not being able to to quickly reload. Uh, But he got it from a licensed firearm dealer in San Diego, the feds are saying it was the sale was on the up and up. They don't think there was anything there. But on that 911 call, we know he said, quote, he told the, the California Highway Patrol call taker because he called 911 on his cell phone as he was leaving the, the synagogue. He said, I just shot up a synagogue. I'm trying to defend my nation from the Jewish people. They're destroying our people. I opened fire at a synagogue. I think I killed some people. Then he went on and said, he did it because the Jewish people are destroying the white race, as he was telling the, the call taker where he was and that he was giving up.
what's going on with the synagogue? Uh, they haven't reopened for services yet, have they? You know, I don't think so. Um, and Rabbi Goldstein, he's been at the White House. He's been uh, very public in the, the last week and a half, two weeks. But they uh, they made it known in the, the days afterwards they were going to have to figure out what they were going to do with the, the synagogue, if they were going to change anything. They did reopen it immediately, though, for Lori Kay's funeral. So people have been back there, but that was in the, the day and a half after this happened. So they've got to decide long-term, or are they going to do like a lot of places do, like Columbine did, like others, where the shooting happened, do you modify it, do you renovate it at all? That's so eerie that her funeral was in the synagogue where she was killed. I mean, it makes sense because that's her place of worship, and of course that would have been her choice had she died in any other way. But, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that you think about when the site of these shootings of these mass killings is a place of worship that people well yeah and if you think about in among the the jewish population typically funerals are very quick so they they've had to do it pretty quickly and i can tell you from being there that day that there was still blood on the sidewalk i don't know whose blood it was it may have been the, the rabbis because he was the one who went outside and then started preaching rabbi goldstein Uh, And he had been standing out there quite a bit, but it was so fresh that there was still blood there on the sidewalk. Alex, thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Thanks, guys. Alex, still there with the latest. What's going on with the... uh, One time we got to have Alex on to talk like uh, baseball or something. Baseball, kids, bees. Anything other than what Alex talks about when Uh, he joins us. One of the stories that we've been watching, of course, is this ongoing uh, trade spar sparring match i guess between the united states um the we have been suggesting that china steals our technology and then pressures american companies into handing over trade secrets and all of this is in the background of the ongoing fight over tariffs we're less than eight hours away from new tariffs beginning unless something strange happens in these talks we saw the dow down almost as uh as much close to about 500 earlier today right now the dow or I should say the Dow ended a few minutes ago down about 140 points, and so it made up some of the uh, some of the lost ground earlier. But uh, it's going to be a long night. We're going to see a lot of this tr- uh, trade um, weighing down some of the markets as we go through in Europe and in Asia overnight. So Coming up next, we will hook up with Mark Saltzman, our tech guru, all about the Uber Lyft strike. Will that be successful? Uh, the Facebook? Oh, yeah. They need new regulations. It's time to break up Facebook. That's the co-founder of Facebook, Chris Hughes, saying Mark Zuckerberg is too powerful and need the Facebook needs oversight. Love it. And coming up, yeah, science that's kind of weird. Like cool. Is it uh, cool. It can be, but yeah. also odd. Like when you can turn your eye one side like that. Mm. And your chance at a thousand dollars. Little girl. <laughs> Uh, we just found out, by the way, the president is going to nominate Patrick Shanahan as the uh, the next uh, secretary of defense. He was the acting secretary since Mattis, correct? Yes, and he was a great actor. So he won the Academy Award, and therefore the president has decided that he would be the great next secretary of the Defense Department. Well, at this time on Thursday, we talked to the great Mark Saltzman. And we play this. The machines are getting smarter. <laughs> this is Tech Talk. 
Brought to you by Skynet. Because the portal to Canada doesn't open until we play that thing. And right. We can, we can hear from Mark. What's going on, Mark? Uh, hey, can you guys hear me okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. The machines may be getting smarter, as your intro song <laughs> suggests, but we may not be. Uh, we uh, were talking. Yeah. A, we were talking a little bit earlier about this uh, this op-ed piece in the New York Times from Chris Hughes, where he suggests Facebook has to be broken up. Can you explain what he's talking about? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I'd say it was sour grapes, but he, you know, he told LinkedIn. Uh, he wrote on LinkedIn that uh, he made five hundred million in his last three years of work. Uh, that's between twenty uh, two thousand and seven and two thousand and. Uh, to uh, 2004. So I'd say it was sour grapes, but geez, yeah. So he said in, a, in an op-ed in the New York Times that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's power is, quote, unprecedented and un-American. And he, he calls for Facebook to be broken up. He says just too powerful. You know, they've got 2 billion users across the world. Uh, Facebook owns WhatsApp, Messenger, and Instagram, uh, you know, and uh, each used by more than a billion people, by the way, of those those other companies they own. And th he's just saying this is just too much power in one person's hands. And uh, he says he feels a sense of anger and responsibility. You know, he... I think he's suggesting that we're all the the news that we're getting is can be curated and or massaged and distributed in a way that is, you know, um, you know what's the what's you know I'm not going to say the, the uh, I'm not going to say the fake news I'm not going to no, go there. No, but and, I mean and, it could be what Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> wants to feed to the masses. I mean I, I understand his point in that. Two billion people are logging on to these social media sites every day. And if there's someone who can channel what they're seeing and, and funnel the, the, the right. bits that he thinks are important to them, um, that, that can be dangerous. Now, I don't agree with the whole government oversight over social media because that sounds to me like China. But um, I, mm -hmm. I, I think maybe he's got a point. How much, how much influence does Mark Zuckerberg have over the content yeah. that all of us see on Facebook every day? Yeah, I don't think on a daily basis he's he's uh, you know he's getting involved in that, and I think they've made a number of announcements and changes uh, that they've already executed to to work on that after the 2016 presidential election and some of the the proof that came out of that. Not to mention the the data breaches and all that. But yeah, no, I know Elizabeth Warren is calling for the breakup of big companies like Facebook. But I find it ironic that Chris Hughes would call this un-American. I mean, I think this is this is the most American thing you can do is build up a huge company. And yes, there are antitrust laws. In, in place, but you're, you know, I, I, I don't know what the motive is for, for this. I, I, I think he somewhat uh, articulated this in the op-ed piece, but I think he just feels like it's too much power in, in too few of hands. And they, Facebook, actually, in their defense on Thursday, today, they, they said that they accept that with success comes accountability, but you don't enforce accountability by calling for the breakup of a successful American company, and that the only way that change could be achieved is through the introduction of new rules and, and iterating on those. And I think they're, you know, look, I don't work for the company. I use Facebook and it, it is a choice uh, for us to use it. But uh, it, it's an interesting argument. I, I, but what's the alternative? You know, I mean, there's going to be another big company that comes up. And what about Alphabet, who owns Google and, and Microsoft and Amazon? So it's, um, you know, it's an interesting argument. And I think that there, it's it's it, there's look at the comments on any of the articles uh, today about this. And you can see it's hotly debated. It's obviously a very polarizing topic, but nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying you have to use Facebook to get your news. Uh, two of the biggest shining examples of our tech-centered gig economy are Uber and Lyft. And as much as people use them, millions of people every single day, 
the people who drive for Uber and Lyft are not happy with the companies and yesterday went through a strike. And I can think of myself, millions and millions of people who did not use their Uber and Lyft apps yesterday. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm checking my own research. I don't know anyone who didn't use Uber or Lyft yesterday. <laughs> Monica used it yesterday. Oh, don't call me I was me just going to challenge you. <laughs> oh, sorry. That. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, there, there were there were some strikes in a couple of cities, L.A. being one of them. Uh, but I don't think the drivers, it's not a unified sort of um, movement here. Um, it's a very small percentage of drivers that called for a strike. And they are demanding uh, better wages because over the years, Uber has chipped away at what the drivers uh, would get what their takeaway would get. So I can understand if you started five years ago and you're looking at what you're making now, that um, it, it is about two thirds uh, less. That's that's a pretty big drop. So instead of making about 30 bucks an hour, you're making about 10. So look, um, yeah, there's. I don't think it was a very well planned strike yesterday. Maybe it's very difficult because it is a gig economy and everybody, this could be your side hustle. It's kind of hard to orchestrate this, but it doesn't seem like it made much of a dent. The Uber and Lyft strike hit mostly LA, New York, Boston, and Chicago, and a little bit in Toronto and London, but it didn't really make quite the dent. But, you know, they're protesting for, for better pay. I don't know if if Uber's going to reverse it, but they're saying that, um, you know, it's just not enough to live off, to live on and, and Lyft is no better. At the same time, as you know, the companies are going public and raising lots of money for the shareholders. So they're, they're, they're showing that disparity there that, uh, that they don't feel as fair if you're a driver. You can follow Mark on Twitter, Mark with a C underscore Saltzman, and you'll see such tech tips of the day, like tech tip 106, when your tech is acting <laughs> up, reboot it. Genius. <laughs> Come on. That's number 106. That should be number one. I, my wife said, you must have used that one already, right? And I'm like, actually, I haven't. <laughs> so that was my tip yesterday. Yeah. And it works like 99% of the time. Just of reboot it, it instead of wrestling with it, right? Yes. Well, Mark, all of the stuff that you write and, of course, is fantastic. We love reading it on USA Today, AARP, Costco Connection, all everywhere. of those places. Mark is everywhere. Everywhere. And of He's course, omniscient. Thank you. Follow him on social media and you can see all that stuff. And we put links up to his articles as well when we talk to him. Thank you, Mark. We appreciate it. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Mark Saltzman there with our tech talk. I love it when Mark signs off with cheers. Cheers. That's because that's what they do. No, it's not what, what nice they do. That's what nice people do. Oh, nice people. I think about Canadians. <laughs> no, no, no. They Every Canadian is individual, uh, just like every other person. Right. Yes. They don't all say cheers. Right. I don't know what they all talk about, but... I boot. Sorry. I see what you did. I know. Yeah, it's like when you're in London, you start talking with an accent. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> These are some crazy science stories right here. Yeah, we'll come up with a name for it when we come back. Like, I don't know. Science time! Monica Ricks. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> That's a great lead in. Wow. Oh, boy, the, your formatics have really gone by the wayside, haven't they? I've been conversational. It's 128, 28 minutes after one. Monica Ricks in the newsroom. What? Gary and Shannon. The president is said to be nominating Patrick Shanahan as U.S. Defense Secretary. He has been the acting defense secretary since uh, James Mattis resigned. Sarah Sanders citing Shanahan's outstanding service. He was a Boeing executive for decades. Hey, a couple of things to tell you about. Earlier today, we did an interview with John Douglas, a former FBI profiler, worked with the agency for 25 years, became an author, wrote 15 books, including a new book that just came out, uh, The Killer Across the Table, 
that just came out this week. We spent almost the entire 11 o'clock hour with him. We got very lucky. So if you want to listen to that interview, we have it up on our podcast. If you go to the iHeartRadio app and just click on podcast and type in Gary and Shannon, it's also up on the website. If you go to KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Another update on a story that we've been talking about all week, of course, is the school shooting in Colorado. Five months ago, five months ago, a district official urged the school's administration to investigate allegations of violence, sexual assault, and campus bullying because an anonymous parent wrote to them and suggested that they were afraid that that could lead to a repeat of Columbine at STEM School Highlands Ranch. Oh, no. Yeah. So five months ago, a parent wrote an anonymous letter to the district and said that this was rampant. Wow. And that they didn't, the, they were afraid that something was going to happen. When asked, the school's executive director, uh, uh, one of the district uh, officials asked the executive director to investigate the allegations. And in a February letter to the parents, the executive director of the school of STEM School Highlands Ranch uh, s- disputed a bunch of the parents' claims and said the allegations against the school had been investigated. There was no evidence to support the anonymous claims as well. So this was five months ago. A parent was concerned that STEM School Highlands Ranch was going to be the next column. Or maybe some lawsuits because of that. All right. Uh, well, I've got uh, some freaky stories here. There's science-y, and there's baby sharks, yes, too. Can, so did we agree science time? No. What did we, we agree We did not on? agree on that. I thought we could do something alliterative. Tony, do you have an idea? Strange science. Oh, good. It's like weird science. Yeah, the whole thing all strange. Ready to go. And... Well, one of the biggest economies, one of the biggest investment opportunities is going to be an all about medical tech. This is a market expected to be worth at least $600 billion by 2025, according to analysts with Bank of America. They're saying that companies like Illumina and Alphabet are on the cusp of bringing unprecedented increases to the quality and length of human lifespans. We are going to be passing 100 years old on the regular because of it. Okay. We've talked about this many times. It's expensive You've, to have a population that's going to live to be over 100. Well, I'm and I'm assuming that along with these advancements in human lifespan come advancements in uh, later life care, where where quality of life is better, perhaps, than what we think of now. When you hit 95, you know, you got a, you got a grandma or grandpa, something like that hanging out around 95 they slow down quite a bit and chances are they have someone that they're living with that's taking care of them it's the rare occasion where grandma or grandpa is able to take care of themselves at that point so i think part of it i hope i should say part of it is that there there are issues of accessibility there's issues of of self-care that are easier to do with these advancements in human lifespan but you put a cap on yourself me oh yeah, yeah. you've said i'm, I'm cutting out I'm going to cut out. You early. said late fifties will be sort of the sunset of your life, <laughs> so I don't know if I don't know if you're sticking to that or I don't know. I just I don't want to get to the point where, um, where there's just not a quality of life, you know. I've and I agree. 
As long as you're willing to enjoy some things or people or cigars, great cigars, brandy, yes, uh, yes, cured meats. You know, as long as I can have a glass of Chardonnay, right? Uh, If I get to a point where they say, "No, you can't have this. You can't have that. You can't have this or the other thing," and you can't go to the bathroom on your own, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, I uh. I'm curious to see if you could if you could pass a hundred years, how many people would choose that one? You that know, is I, an interesting question, isn't it? Because I I I don't like the idea of death. I'm not sure anybody's really happy about the whole idea, but I don't like the idea of death. But I don't think about it in the context of not being able to take care of myself. Right. And maybe that's a better way to frame it. Is and there's it, there's going to be a point where it just becomes untenable that I you know either my kids or a some hot nurse or something like that's going to have to take care of me, and that's not... Okay, so I don't see that in your future. Which, I'm sorry, which part? I feel like that's not going to happen for you. What's going to... What did you... So then I'm either going to... Do you think... I think that you guys think that there's just like this like harem of hot nurses that will cater to you in your later years. And I don't know if that's the case. I don't want you to get your hopes up. Maybe you could hire one of those uh, topless maids in the van across the street to help you out. Okay, for just a second. I I won't need a maid necessarily. <laughs> and second of all, they don't actually live in the vans. I, oh, do you know that? We have don't you, know that. Have you ever uh, opened up one of those have, doors? Have you knocked? I have not knocked on that. I want to call them one day and do an <laughs> interview with with the people that run topless maids. Nick? Nick's shaking me yeah. off. Yeah, he's, he's like, I'm not making that phone call. You want to talk to them? You book it. Nick is it. usually a yes man. Uh, in this case, no. Well, but along those lines of, of medical sciences and this business of $600 billion in terms of uh, medical investment opportunities, there's one that is a technology that's been around for some time but could be used to treat opioid addiction. And we'll talk about that when we come back to our strange science segment here on Gary and Channel. Also, baby sharks. Say it. Do, 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 do. Monica Ricks. What? You got that James Dean daydream look in your eye. And I got that red lip classic thing that you like. And when we go crashing down, we come back every time. We never go out of style. We never go out. Gary and Shannon. Well, you don't have to partake of all the Thursday, May 9th. I know, but that's just... The- <laughs> you could just be a voyeur. A voyeur. I'm just going to sit in the back. You guys don't mind me. Um, John Akencho is coming up at the top of the hour. We've been in the middle of swamp... Uh, sorry, in the middle of uh, strange science. The stories of crazy, cool, science-y things that go on that we didn't get a chance to talk about before. Um, there is a medical procedure called DBS. Deep Brain Stimulation. And for people who have suffered from movement disorders, something like Parkinson's, for example, deep brain stimulation has been a treatment for some time. Now we are seeing the first clinical trials in China of DBS for methamphetamine addiction. The surgery involves implanting a device that is really sort of a the doctors will describe it as a pacemaker for your brain and it electrically stimulates targeted areas 
And we have been doing a bunch of, you know, uh, trials on this. Western medicine seems to be a bit behind the Chinese when it comes to this. Scientists in Europe have been struggling to recruit patients for DBS addiction studies because of some some scientific questions, some ethical questions in the case uh, have also been in the trouble. Uh, that's caused some trouble here in the United States. Devices can cost $100,000 to implant. But brain surgery for drug addiction in China is like Twinkies on a 7-Eleven shelf. They do it all the time. It's always there. They have less, uh, shall we say, ethical hangups about that sort of a thing. So there are eight registered DBS clinical trials for drug addiction being conducted in the world. Six of them right now are in China. Have you received your plus one peer-reviewed scientific journal yet? Uh, I have it. I haven't read through it yet, but it, but it is on the kitchen counter, I think. Well, there are new findings published in this edition, published Wednesday. New findings by scientists and grad student Connor White from California State University Long Beach's Shark Lab. Shark experts now believe they can accurately predict the likelihood that baby sharks will be near shore in certain areas by using mathematical calculations that incorporate water temperature. Why do not we have the music by now? Wow. Working on it. It took eight years to compile this data. But yes, they now have technology to help predict where baby sharks like to hang out. Still working on it. They can determine that young sharks like water temperatures between 60 and 82 degrees. That's what they called the sweet spot. Now, if waters are colder than 60 degrees or warmer than 82, baby sharks get the hell out of there. There we go. The only reason we did this story. Can you turn it up louder? Mm-mm. Nope. Why not? Because it's broken. It's not broken. Yeah, baby shark's broken. No, it's not broken. Totally broken. I will not fall for that. Uh. I am not. You can't just play a little bit and then take it away like well, that. Well, I can't it's talk. Cruel. It can't move into mommy shark. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about baby sharks. The only reason we're talking about baby sharks is we can so we can play that entire song. <laughs> if another El Nino comes around, Southern California may be the hot spot for baby sharks. Could you imagine if there was like a swarm of baby sharks? I don't think they call them a swarm. Uh, what do they call a, a bunch of baby sharks? A herd? Together. I don't know. You're the one who's usually good with uh, the names of these things. Sharks. Uh, a shiver. Or a, or a school. Or a shoal. Shiver's good. Or yeah. a gam or a frenzy. Ooh, Ooh frenzy. frenzy. Yeah. I call them a crisis. A crisis of sharks. <laughs> I'm making I'm making up my own words. The uh, the fire that destroyed the roof at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, they're saying that lead levels from the roof were found to be between ten and twenty grams per per kilogram of ground. Ten to twenty grams per kilogram of ground. That's about thirty two, somewhere between thirty two and sixty five times the recommended limit of lead. The areas right around the cathedral have been closed since that fire and will stay closed for some time. 
The statement from uh, Paris officials said that the main danger is lead dust that would coat surfaces of nearby homes and businesses. This is why you weren't supposed to to uh, scrape the paint off of your house if it was built in the 60s and 70s. To avoid lead poisoning, authorities have recommended a good cleaning with a damp cloth. Pregnant women and children have been told to wash their hands frequently if they're in the area. The frame of Notre Dame, they said, contained hundreds of tons of lead. And that church spire that burned and collapsed, the one that was about 200 years old, 150 years old, the church spire uh, also contained several tons of lead as well that uh, simply melted and then made their made its way into the atmosphere in and around Notre Dame Cathedral. Hey, if you didn't check out our 11 o'clock hour, we interviewed John Douglas, of course, one of the FBI's most uh, famous and one of the first criminal profilers. He was the one who wrote the book Mind Hunter behind the Netflix series, all about sitting down, sitting across the table from several serial killers, the most notorious, and picking their brains about why they did what they did. He had an interesting comment as well about school shooters uh, in terms of coming up with a profile for people who shoot up schools and whether or not that could mean that we have a way to interdict before they do this thing. John Cobalt, what's happening? Hi, uh, we've got Eric Leonard coming on right after the news uh, yeah. for Channel 4. And he's got some uh, good stuff on the... Uh, Thousand guns found at that Bel Air mansion. <laughs> That's, That's a crazy story. That is that is a really cool story. I love it. It's got guns. It's got money. It's got a mistress, a secret family, and a J. Paul Getty connection. Too. I know. I know. Sometimes I drive by these homes and I wonder what weirdness is going on inside. Oh, uh, this is, is just the tip of the iceberg. I know. This... I mean, those people probably probably have dungeons and all sorts of things. <laughs> Jeez. You just because you talked to John Douglas. Well, it's on the mind. I love the L.A. Times point out. And just up the street, Jay Z and Beyonce have a nice house. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the tour bus was going by, so right. they have, they have a new. Uh, they have a new attraction. All right. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to... Gary and Shannon. And then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness.